Welcome back uh, to the Wednesday Bible Study. We are so thankful that you are here. We are walking through the book of Revelation, and and today we're going to finish the seven letters to the churches, uh, and we will be in chapter 3. Today we'll start uh, with the church at Laodicea, and we'll start in verse 14. Uh, so glad that you are here. Uh, those of you that uh, may be joining for the first time, we're a, a men's Bible study, but uh, we're walking through a book of the Bible, so really men and women uh, can be part of this, and I know that is the case around the country. Now here in the room, it is it is men and men only. Uh, it is part of a men's discipleship strategy that you can find at themanchurch.com, and that's who brings you this Bible study. Uh, also, any archives of old Bible studies can be found by going to themanchurch.com. If you click on our media tab, there. You can listen or watch. You can listen to the audio archive or you can watch the YouTube archive. If you're catching us live on the Rick and Bubba YouTube channel, that's an option every Wednesday uh, without much exception. If I'm not on vacation, we're here uh, and you can get it noon central, one o'clock Eastern live. And if you'll subscribe to the Rick and Bubba a YouTube page. We're using the Rick and Bubba Studios. I'm the co-host of the Rick and Bubba Show uh, and also the director for themanchurch.com. You'll get a prompt whenever the, another Bible study uh, starts. So let me update you on a couple of things before we dive in today. First of all, the first ever Man Church conference was this past weekend. This is not going to take a lot of time because I can, I really honestly can say it with zero uh, exaggeration or over trying to be overly emotional. Uh, those who attended from all over the country, you would agree with me, I couldn't really put it into words. It's one of those things that if you could have been there and you chose not to be there, you missed it. You missed it. Uh, it, it was an encounter. Uh, it was uh, the, the presence of God there was overwhelming. And uh, praise God for the, the lives that were changed. Uh, but uh, even those who were already redeemed and, and in the process of sanctification, it was a weekend of worship and refinement that uh, that that we all benefited from. Uh, so um, it, it, I, I hate it if you missed it and you could have been there. Some of you, there was no way you could have been there. It sold out or you just had a conflict, and we certainly understand that. But next year, uh, our plans are 2024 uh, to do two more uh, of these next year. We'll do one in Birmingham, Alabama, and one in Starkville, Mississippi. So make a note of that and be listening for when those tickets go on sale. And you can join us at either both of those venues are one of them, um, but but the most important thing is always not just uh, the the conference or the or the convention and the gathering, even though that is a great time of worship, uh, but also you want to talk about the equipping, and that's what we're doing in here. We we're going to launch our fourth curriculum. We have three forty uh, week curriculum, and part of our strategy uh, outside of the once or twice a year conference, uh, we have services for men all over the country. The churches that are doing that, they have man church services, and then they go into uh, these our, our curriculum into the small group Bible studies. So some of the services, if you're looking to plug into a church somewhere in the country, uh, here's some opportunities this week. Uh, I'm actually doing this live on March the first. So on March the third this weekend, uh, Andy Blanks and I from our team. Uh, we will be in Pottsville, Arkansas, this Friday. Uh, it's Friday night. Uh, man, you're welcome to join us. It's free, uh, the service. I think they do need to know you're coming for the for the food they're going to be providing. And then Andy and I will both do a session, and you can plug into the small group curriculum there. Uh, that's near Russellville, First Baptist Church, Pottsville. Uh, down in Op, Alabama, Westview Baptist Church has been doing our strategy for a while, and this is their next man church, and Brian Gunn, We'll be speaking there, and there'll be an opportunity for you to go into their small groups. Uh, First Baptist Church, Webster, Florida. 
uh, down near Tampa. They are doing uh, the strategy. Uh, they kicked it off uh, with me, and uh, they did that with the, the video option that we have. We have a video that can kick it off for you, too, if I can't get there. They've seen Scott Dawson, and now their next man church will be Rich Wingo. Uh, and they're continuing with the strategy, and you can plug into that. Uh, also looking ahead on March the 18th, uh, Old Friendship Baptist Church in Fanger, Tennessee. That's how you pronounce it. They're doing our strategy. They actually offer it on Sunday mornings uh, for men to meet together, but their next man church will have Andy Blanks on March the 18th, and then on the 26th, Friendship Church in Athens, Alabama. Scott Garoski will be there as they continue the men's discipleship strategy. So that's March, and you can get all those in the entire year by going to themanchurch.com. We also launched, and uh, men are in the room. If you came in late, I brought one of these as a gift to you. Uh, this is a new 31-day devotional called Transformed, Embracing the Death of Self and the Power of God. Uh, we launched that um, at the conference uh, this past uh, weekend. Uh, it is uh, the first uh, resource that, that that I was asked to try to uh, write the commentary uh, myself. I took 30, 31 of the most uh, challenging and convicting ber- verses in the Bible uh, that all talk about the fact that if we have not been transformed by Jesus, then there's something wrong with us uh, because it's not because of his inability to do so. And also not being afraid to to say biblically, because it's got to be biblical, there is no such thing as true redemption that does not also include transformation. So, so uh, that uh, that that is a 30, 31 day devotional that you can take on with those verses, and I have some commentary in there as well. That's available at themanchurch.com. You can get it now anywhere in the country, uh, and it's my gift to all of you in the room to to take with you today. All right, so let's open up in prayer and let's go to the Revelation uh, chapter three. We'll start start in verse fourteen. Lord, thank you for today. Uh, Lord, I just pray that you will just. <sighs> Open up our hearts. Let's just put out of our minds all the things going on around us. Uh, as Adrian Rogers uh, said so beautifully one time, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Uh, and, and I pray, Lord, that we just take this time and devote it to you and hear from you. And may the power of the Holy Spirit reign supreme. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's turn. This is the church at Laodicea. This is the final letter uh, now, we're not done with the Revelation, but this is the final letter of the, the seven letters to the churches uh, that Jesus is telling uh, John to write down, then send to these churches. So let's look at the—we always break down the different views and, and Laodicea. So if you're going to be looking at Laodicea today practically, and that the practical view means he was only speaking to that church— at that time, and that church did exist, that church at that time, we can all take something away from it, but it was for them. So if, if it's the practical view, this would be the fashionable church. It was very fashionable uh, to be at Laodicea. It would be like the mega churches of today. Uh, it, it was the place to be. Uh, and if you were part of the church at Laodicea, you were you were considered to, to have everything you could possibly want. Uh, and uh, it was a, a very rich church, a very wealthy church. Uh, and it was very fashionable to be there. Uh, if you are looking at the state of, of all churches, uh, meaning uh, this could apply to any church at any time, uh, this would be materialism. Uh, this is a church that thinks uh, that they're in need of nothing. Uh, they're delusional uh, about uh, their needs and the things that uh, they think they've got everything that they could ever need uh, or, or want. Uh, and, and Jesus is going to correct that today. If you're looking at it uh, prophetically, uh, you're, you're looking at the, the church ages. 
then what you would come to the conclusion is that, that we are now in the church at Laodicea. It, it is the modern uh, age and the modern state of the church. Uh, and uh, it would be, you're going to hear Jesus talk about it being lukewarm. Uh, I told you it was wealthy. It was riddled with compromise. It was riddled with carnality. Um, there they were a few cults even thrown in, uh, some of the theology that was going on. And, and those that see it prophetically say, and that's the state of the church today. So um, y- you can take any of those or you can take all of those, but that's, uh, that's uh, how you would see the church at Laodicea. So let's talk about the church. There's really nothing about who founded it, uh, but once again, we think that this is likely part of Paul's ministry, even though it is not likely that Paul himself planted it. Uh, and, and the reason why we think that is, you know, he wrote to the, uh, the Colossians years later after, after this had already happened, this, this revelation, and when he's writing to the Colossians, he makes no mention of Laodicea, and they're very close to each other. So the fact he doesn't mention them, uh, we don't think that Paul himself uh, planted it, but we do think one of, of Paul's uh, co-workers, uh, uh, Epaphras, was the one who actually planted it. Uh, and also, uh, we do think that, uh, that, that Paul never visited this church at Laodicea, uh, but uh, Epaphras was the one who probably planted it. Uh, and, and one of the things we also see is that um, uh, the pastor at Laodicea, and probably was the pastor uh, at the time this revelation was given, uh, was uh, Archippus, and Archippus was Philemon's son. You remember the letter to Philemon? Uh, his son was the pastor uh, of Laodicea. So, so those are some interesting things about the church. The city, uh, 100 miles east of Ephesus, uh, this will be the, the most southeastern of the seven cities geographically, uh, and and it was set up in these beautiful mountains, and it was nearly impregnable. Uh, most people thought uh, there's just no way for you to attack this city. Uh, now, you're going to see Jesus refer to some things about them in his rebuke, and it is going to be a rebuke. I'll just go ahead and give you that heads up. Uh, they popped in water from several miles away. They they had they had everything they thought, but they did not have access to hot water or, or clean drinking water, refreshing cold water. So they had to pop it in from several miles away. Uh, a large number of Jews had settled there. Uh, even the Talmud, even the Talmud, spoke scornfully of the life of ease and how lazy the Jews were who uh, who lived in Laodicea. Even the Talmud thought that they were that they were worthless and laid around and did nothing. Uh, so when peace under Rome, when that rule happened, uh, that's when Laodicea prospered. Uh, they became a str- uh, they became a strategic banking center, uh, wealthy after the earthquake. Here's how wealthy they were. They got involved in that earthquake of AD sixty. They built it back themselves. They had enough money. The, the Roman Empire. They the Roman Empire offered help, and they said, "We're good. We got enough money. We're fine." So they built back their own city. So that shows how how wealthy they were. Now, here's what Jesus is going to take on. They were famous for their production of a soft black wool. Uh, this was very, very sought after. You, you were wealthy if you had something that had black wool and this soft black wool, and they manufactured it there. Uh, also, it was an imp- important center of ancient medicine. They had a medical school there, and Jesus is going to refer to this. Guess what they were famous for? They produced an eye salve. Uh, that was uh, sought after and shipped all over the Roman Empire. 
uh, for 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 people to use on their eyes for irritations and things like that. And uh, and that the Greco-Roman world, everybody sought this eye salve that was made at that medical school and came out of Laodicea. Uh, so all of these things I mentioned that they were very very proud of, that they thought made them this wonderful place. Jesus is going to use those as an analogy of what's wrong with them. So, uh, so let's get started. Um, when you go to uh, Revelation three fourteen, you're going to see that the language here is very, very harsh. Uh, this church was uh, almost completely had become a, an apostate church. It is the worst of the seven. Uh, so the language here is going to be most severe. Now, I want you to catch this. As in the letter to Philadelphia, remember, he wasn't in Philadelphia, he didn't use any of the descriptions of himself that we find in Revelation 1. He went back to the Old Testament, uh, you know, solidifying his deity. He's going to do something similar here. Uh, he's not going to use any of the descriptions uh, from Revelation 1, 12 through 17 here either. Uh, but, um, but I will tell you that we're going to divide up the things that he does call himself and what that means. So let's look at verse 14. And the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of, here they come, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. That's what he calls himself. So let's unpack those. So, so the amen we should be pretty familiar with. Uh, this is the Hebrew word for truth. Um, Isaiah, if you want to write this down, those of you that take notes, Isaiah 65, 16, twice calls uh, God the God of truth, the amen. Uh, it also means affirmation, means certainly, means it's firm, it's fixed, it's unchangeable. That's why when we hear somebody say something about God that we know is absolutely true, we say what? Amen. So, so, so that's what we mean. That's true. That's unchangeable. Uh, we affirm that to be true. Uh, and, and so he's calling himself that. I, I am the amen. Uh, the Greek "amen" uh, is uh, also also means truly. Uh, you see it. Remember the the, the Greek "amen" that, that that when the King James uh, interpreters when they went to the King James, they took the Greek "amen" and used the word "verily." Remember that "verily" I say to you. Uh, so that's where that kind of means it's it's true as well. Uh, so it's either truly in some of the English interpretations, but in the King James. They use verily. Uh, uh, he is the God of truth incarnate. Uh, there, there is, uh, there's more to the title. Uh, in, in 2 Corinthians 1.20, write that down. 2 Corinthians 1.20, Paul says, He is the one who, who, who confirmed all of God's promises. Uh, amen. Everything has been fulfilled in Jesus. He is the truth. Amen. He's unchangeable. Amen. Uh, we, he's firm. He's fixed. And, uh, and I love when Paul says this, Jesus is the one, he fulfilled it all. And so that's what all this means. So then he says that he's also the faithful and true witness. Now, this is going to be interesting. Take this and go back to Philadelphia. The faithful and true witness says, the way I see you is correct. And he saw them as uh, in need of no condemnation. I look at your church, I look at how you're living, I'm the faithful and true witness, and what I say about you is true, and I see nothing to condemn you about. Well, he's putting this in his title here so that when he tells Laodicea they're delusional, he's also equally right. 
uh, and he says, the faithful and true witness, uh, everything I speak is truth. Everything I say is perfectly accurate. My testimony is reliable, and, uh, and, he, and he is going to uh, this time accurately address their unredeemed condition. That's what we have to understand. Well, you and I can be as delusional as we want to be if, if the way we live our life, which is what this devotional was, was, was inspired by, because that's how I came to Christ, because I've been sold a version of Christianity that did not feature transformation, uh, and I'd been sold false Christianity, cultural Christianity. And, and what, and what the, Jesus is saying is that when I say that you're out of line, you are. And what we got to quit thinking is that we can see Scripture, the Word of God, breathed by the very breath of God, and we look at our lives and we look at that Scripture and go, no, I still think I'm good. The Scripture says, I'm reliable, you're not. You're delusional, I'm not. And so that's what he's about to say to the church at Laodicea. He also says he's the beginning of creation. Now, this does not mean the first person created. That's not what he means at all. Be careful with that, because that's where some of the cults that claim they're part of Christianity start questioning his deity. Well, he says himself he was the first person created. It's not what he's saying. What he is saying is, um, because if you look at the Greek here, uh, it's arche or arche. The the beginning means Christ is the source or the origin of creation. It doesn't mean he's the first person created. Created, it means he's the very source of creation. I'm the origin. I'm the first. It flowed from me. That's what he means. So, um, some other things about Laodicea. It wasn't far from Colossae, uh, and likely we think that uh, the same heresy that was plaguing the Colossians. You know, remember Paul's mad. If you haven't read the letter to to the Colossians, he's mad. He, he I mean, he's screaming. Certainly not. Where did y'all come up with this theology? Who taught y'all this? And since they're so close together, uh, they think that the problem at Laodicea might have been some of that drifting into there too, uh, some of that heresy. Um, and, you know, and, and what you found there is and what this looked like. It was the Gnostics. Remember, John's mad about that in his epistle. First John, he's taking the Gnostics on. And what this was, when these Gnostics crept into the church, they claimed that they possessed a secret higher spiritual knowledge that somehow was above Scripture. So this thing that people have come up with cults that they call Christianity that has a new revelation or is outside the, 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 the canonized scriptures, uh, this is not new. Oh, I've been, I have something that's not in the Bible, but you need to hear from me. And the Gnostics, the main thing that most of these people do, which shows you it's from Satan, you know what the main thing that heresy always brings into the church? One of two things, that somehow you can earn your salvation— or the other end of the spectrum, God is so gracious, do whatever you want. You see, the universalism, or it's earning. Both of those extremes are always part of this. And uh, in this case, it would have been the sin doesn't matter, because the Gnostics believe that if Jesus took on human flesh, he couldn't be sinless. Of course, if he's not sinless, then what happened on the cross did not redeem us, and we got problems. Okay, so so anyway, so this was creeping in. If you want to go watch Paul go off on this, <laughs> and he really is mad, go to Colossians 1 and then read this, uh, verses 15 through 17. He's really upset with these Gnostics coming in to Colossae. So, uh, and they think that since it's so close, that's what was drifting into here too. All right, so now uh, he's, Jesus has given his resume who he is, and now he's going to take on 
his concerns, and there's nothing to commend them for. So he immediately goes to condemnation, uh, and he's talking about deeds. Look what he says. He, he says, I know your works are your deeds. Uh, and he says, you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. Uh, and then we're going through 17. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I told you all a thousand times, why do we need people and Scripture to look into our lives? Because I love when, when, when you'll be trying to hold somebody accountable or somebody ask you to mentor them, and they'll claim, they'll even use the word, you know, because I want to be sure I don't have any blind spots. Then you see something, they say, well, I just don't see it that way. And I go, I, I, that's why it's called a blind spot. You don't see it. That, that's why you need others to see it, uh, our Scripture to, to see it. So the, these works he's talking about, and, and some of the English translations say deeds. See, anytime you look at our works, James talks about this, our deeds, and this is important, and there's tons of Scripture about this. Write this down. The actual deeds, works, are fruit that is flowing from my life. Back to this again. That's flowing from my life. That's the indicator of the true state of our spiritual health. Nothing else. Not how many times we've gone to church, not how many things we've attended, uh, not about how many good things uh, we, we think are doing, know how successful we are. Uh, if you want to look into your life and I want to look into my life, this is how I was actually redeemed. And whatever is flowing out of our lives, that's the true state. I mean, Jesus takes us on when the, the new newly converted Jewish people around him were still talking about all the God's restrictions on what the Jewish people were to eat and not eat, and they start pressing on this, and what does he say? Look, there's nothing that you put in your mouth that's going to defile you. It's what comes out of your mouth that defiles you because, because, because from the mouth the heart speaks. Uh, so if you want to know the state of your spiritual health and I want to know the state of my spiritual health, here it is. Just look at how you live. And if you and I live in a way that looks like Jesus, we're probably all right. If we look in a way that's counter to Jesus, we probably aren't. I'm not talking about stumbles where you made a mistake and you corrected it. You know, I found that out this this past week when one of the things at uh, at our farm is I cannot stand when somebody goes down there and rides the four wheelers and leaves it in the own position and cuts it off at the red switch. When you do that, the battery drains. You got to cut it off at the off switch. We've talked about this how many times? And I go down there to get ready for the – we've got some missionaries and pastors coming to the farm tomorrow, and I'm getting ready. I go down there, somebody's left it in the home position. And when I called my son, I said, I want you to know you were used by God today. And he said, how, Dad? I said, I was wondering if I was done cussing, and I'm not. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, so thank you. I needed that. Uh, so you were you were used by God today. I've I've got a few things. I've still I said you know what the word I used wasn't as bad as some I used in the past, but this one needs to go too. And uh, so so you know at that moment that's a stumble. You know that's your flesh. That's that's you coming under conviction. So that's not what we're talking about. And I did ask for forgiveness from that and and from Sherry several times. So so anyway. Um, on that, that's different than me living a deliberate, perpetual life that is in conflict with Christ. And what they were doing is deliberate and perpetual. And plus, they were inviting heresy into the church and thinking it was no big deal. So, uh, so anyway, so so that that's what's going on here. So, if you want to find other places, and y'all have heard me reference Matthew seven so many times, where he starts talking about 
the wide, and it starts in verse 13. Just read that all the way through to the end. That's Jesus taking on this topic. It's what flows out of you that shows me. Uh, Paul talks about this in the great and mighty book of Romans, Romans 2, 6 through 8. Uh, Our deeds, our works, our fruits either deny or they confirm our true state. And at this particular church, he says, I see your works and what your works in uh, uh, what it indicates to me, and I and I don't get anything wrong, right? He's already given us the resume. Hey, Laodicea, I know how you see yourself. Let me tell you, how I see you. You are you are a unregenerate church. I don't see redeemed people in this church. That's how I see it. You're neither cold nor hot. Now let's let's take this on. There's some things that, that we may correct here, some things I had wrong for many years, and through studying of the Revelation and studying of the history of the city and understanding this, there were some things that we had that I didn't have right. Okay, Now, these are not biggies, so none of these are biggies. So if, you, if you've had another view on it, go, oh, my goodness, it's not heresy or anything like that. But we do need to try to get it right Okay, uh, so we get the most out of it. This water supply thing, remember, it traveled several miles to Laodicea, underground at an aqueduct, and before it re- reached uh, the city, uh, and, and it came from Hierapolis, uh, that's where they got it from, which was near. And it was part of a tri-city. There, there, was, there was Colossae, there was Hierapolis, and there was Laodicea. You're, you know, kind of like we got in those, you, I know a lot of you out there not from Alabama, but we all have tri-city places. For us, it'd be like going to the Shoals. You know, you got Florence, you know, you got Muscle Shoals, and what's the other one up there? Huh? No, uh, Sheffield. Yeah, and so this was just like that. You know, those three cities were that close. So, but but it still was a pretty good haul to get that water there because they were up on they're up high too. Don't miss that. So um, it, it 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 usually got there kind of foul, uh, unfortunately dirty a lot of times and tepid, meaning it wasn't hot or cold. Now at uh, at Hierapolis they had hot springs, and so they had hot water and they had cold water, but when they tried to send it. Uh, to Laodicea, it kind of got there, and it was none of it. It was neither. And it was a frustration and really an embarrassment for Laodicea because they thought they were so wonderful, and they couldn't even get the water right, and Jesus is pointing that out. But but it was not enough for, you know, because hot water, and this is where a little correction may be coming, and I'm even a little the the commentators don't agree on this, but in my opinion, there's a common sense in here, and the commentators that see it the way that I agree with and again, you can research this for yourself. It's not. It's not a biggie. Um, Jesus's words, I think, indicate the correct thing he's saying here, and, and I'll unpack that in a minute. But what he was saying is, hot water is useful. It's useful for healing in those times. It's useful for relaxing, to restore, uh, and that's what the hot springs always did. With, by the time it got to them, the hot spring benefits were gone. So also, they also couldn't get cold and refreshing water. Uh, because by the time they got there, it also wasn't cold or refreshing uh, like the stream water of Colossae uh, and, uh, and Hierapolis. So Colossae tried to give them some cold, refreshing water. By the time it got there, it wasn't. It was tepid. And then you got Hierapolis says, we'll send you our hot spring water. By the time it got there, it wasn't, it wasn't hot. And so what this water was was useless. That's important. It's useless. And their spiritual state was like the city's water. Now, some will say, and I will tell you this, I don't agree with this. 
because of what Jesus says. Now listen, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, hang on to his language here, I will spit you out of my mouth. And then don't miss the other part when he says that um, um, I, 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 would that you were either cold or hot. Now, some people teach, I believe incorrectly, that he says you're either all in or be all in or be out. I got a problem with that be out because I've never known Jesus to prefer that we be against him, that he would rather we would be against him. He also says, uh, when he says this, he says, because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. Well, he wouldn't prefer that we be cold represent being against him. Jesus has never said, well, I just wish you'd be against me. We either are for him or against him. That is a truth. But Jesus wouldn't be preferring that, or he wouldn't be saying that I wish you would be one of them. He wouldn't be saying that because he would never want us to be against him. What he's saying here is I wish you were useful. This kind of faith, is it does nothing. It just sits there. You know, if you were cold water, you'd be useful. If you were hot water, you'd be useful. But you're neither, so I spit you out of your mouth because you're no good to the kingdom. You're a church sitting here in apostate. You're acting like you have been, uh, you haven't been redeemed. You're no different than the world. You're having no impact on the world. You're having no impact on each other. And this is a useless church. I think that's what he's saying. And you'll see that here in a minute. I think it gets confirmed again. I, I, I don't think this, this commentary that some people have, well, Jesus said he just wished you'd be for him or against him. Well, when did Jesus say he wished we were against him? We either are or not, but he didn't he didn't wish that. He doesn't prefer he wouldn't no one's ever been called. He said, well, I think I've been called to be against Jesus. That's what he wants me to do. I don't think that holds up. Now this thing about being useful, cold and hot, that holds up. And and so he's saying that that you're not you're not useful. Uh, this church is of no use to my kingdom or to the city in which it sits or to each other. So um, so he is saying that, um, uh, that, that he needs them to understand that they are rejecting the gospel. And he talks about this again, as you know, in, in Matthew 7, 22 and 23. This is when he says what? Lots of people say my name. Y'all have heard us go over this a lot of stuff. This goes back to, to again, the analogy. And he says... But I don't even know some of you. That goes back to him saying you're delusional. You think that you're so wonderful. I see you as pitiful, poor, and naked. Why? Because of your fruit. And you what does Jesus say in Matthew 7, 22 and 23? Only those that do the will of my Father are the ones that I know. And Laodicea is not doing the will of the Father. What's one of the things that, that Paul tells us is the will of the Father in 1 Thessalonians 4? Our sanctification. You're not holy. You're not growing. You're, you're apostates. You're unredeemed. You're, you're unregenerated. And, and, and there's nothing I can do with you. So I'll spit you out of my mouth because you don't belong to me. You may say things about me. Y'all may sing songs about me here. You may have all this going on. You got all this wealth. But I got news for you. The way I see you is poor, pitiful, and naked, wretched. And until you see yourself that way, you're not going to repent. That's what he's saying. It's it's smug. And let me tell you, this is this is a commentary that uh, uh, I believe this was. I can't remember. No, I think I think this came from. Um, I forget which commentary I was looking at. MacArthur. MacArthur said this. 
and he's he's right. I've experienced this myself. And as a matter of fact, it was my problem. Well, no, my problem was just an abuse of grace. But but I I've tried to talk to these kinds of people, and as as MacArthur says, and I agree, they are the toughest to reach, and that is the smug, self righteous hypocrite. They are the toughest to reach. False Christians are always the toughest. And that's the reason why when I go out into the Bible Belt, the first thing I try to do is come in here and say, before, before any of you in here can be redeemed, I'm going to have to convince you you're lost. And that's what Jesus is doing. And what they were saying is, we're fine. They're not even they – don't, they don't have any doubt at all that they're – they're, hey, I'm good. And, I, and I, how many of you ever had to deal with the I'm good people? But, but yet you see their lives, and you're like, how do you think you're good? You don't think that you're lost? You don't think – you think you're right with God with the way you live your life? You're delusional. And I found out that I was delusional. I, I, I wasn't self-righteous, certainly, and I wasn't smug because I didn't even go to the church. I didn't go to any church. But I remember thinking to myself, I'm good. I, I said a prayer one time. I got baptized. I'm good. But then if you looked at my life, it was deliberate, perpetual sin, which that's not transformation. And I finally had to come to that conclusion. But the, some of the, 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 the biggest problem is we have people walking around filling up churches every week, and they're convinced they're fine. And Jesus said, I looked into your life, and I looked into your church, and I don't see it the way you do. The, 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 Luke, the lukewarm now, as he says, the lukewarm I'm covering with you, but then he goes on to say, look, this is the worst one. He said, the lukewarm is bad, but now you have, you have taken, you, it's been compa- uh, uh, compounded now by what? Deception. Self-deception, self-deception. Remember, every single one of us truly, we really, de- we're all delusional, and we're all deceptive about who we really are. It's just to what degree. What to degree. So here's what he said. Your self-deception, you say I am rich, verse 17, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And I, I've dealt with that before. I, I remember talking to somebody one time before, and 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 I was wrong because I, I, you know, I'm, I'm I'm being sanctified and I'm growing just like the rest of you, and and I was being a smart aleck, and I probably shouldn't have been a smart aleck, and and but but it revealed this whole thing. It was someone that I'd been talking about coming to the Bible study, and uh, and they was they'd said something about for the umpteenth time they couldn't come and wrong like a smarter like i said i said well you're so holy and you're so you're such a devout follower of christ you probably don't need it anyway and the person looked and said yeah but maybe i could bring somebody that does and i thought my gosh i was joking i was trying to be a smarter and uh and 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 uh and and uh and uh yeah we all still need it sometimes wow okay uh you didn't pick up that I was actually calling you out there, uh, but uh, but anyway, um, that that's that is that 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 I'm perfectly comfortable where I am. I will tell you this: you probably got problems with your faith if you're perfectly comfortable with it. I, I don't hear Paul ever saying he he thinks he's arrived, and 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 I, I'm I'm going to just go ahead and say I don't know that any of us are going to get a well done louder than Paul. 
But Paul never felt like he'd arrived. What did he say? He, he said, I, I'm working out my salvation with fear and trembling. I'm pressing on. I'm straining to the goal. And uh, so, uh, so that that's what he is saying. So now let's move on to uh, to verse uh, uh, the seventeen about being delusional. See, their wealth gave them a false sense of security, and that can happen, can it? What does Jesus say? He doesn't say that wealthy people cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. But what does he say? It's difficult for them. Why? They don't think they need me. Can I tell all the wealthy people in the room? Are wealthy people watching? Let me tell you something. God loves you enough that he's going to make your life so miserable and he, and he might even take it away from you just so it'll give you the best shot to be redeemed. So what I do is realize you didn't earn any of it. I've heard a guy talk about that before, another guy, when, when the, t- the discussion of tithing came up. I said, I made that money. I thought, boy, it won't be long until God strikes this guy down. He's going to set that record straight. You didn't earn any of that. You're nothing without God. He allowed you to earn it. He gifted you so you could earn it. And you better – that's what I said about the, the conference this past weekend. Were there gifted people there? They were. But why was God's presence there? Because everybody there that was gifted all acknowledged that the gifts that were on display were the glory of God. Everything that went on, you said, you know, we were moved by all that teaching. You mean of the Scriptures? That was God. Hey, man, we really enjoyed that, uh, that, that, those, those singers. You're talking about the, the voice that God gave them? Hey, we enjoyed those musicians. You mean the ability that God gave them? Hey, we like those songs. You're talking about the ones praising God? Hey, we liked hearing the story of, a, of, of the woman who was redeemed by God and, and he's changed her life. Yeah, that's a testimony of God. The whole thing was about God. What, what we all experienced was the glory and the presence of God. Not these people. They were being obedient. But everything that flowed in there was the presence of God. Nobody had anything to bring to the table. What about the ones that got out and taught? You talking about taught the Bible? Did they write the Bible? They didn't. Did they inspire the Bible? No. Did, did the Scriptures have power? Why? Because of them? No. Because of God. And, and see, he said, that's the problem with the wealthy. They think they did it. They don't even know why I made them wealthy. I made them wealthy to, so they had, a, they had an ability. If, if one of mine that, that is out there that is living day to day needing somebody to help them as they advance the kingdom of God walks up and says, you know, we could reach this number of people. And you know what? Because what we do, we don't do for money. But apparently, kind of like, uh, you know, what uh, – George Bailey said to, to Clarence, the angel, me when Clarence says, well, in heaven, we don't, we don't need money. And he, don't, he said, well, I tell you what, it comes in handy down here, bud. You know what I mean? In this fallen creation, money helps. And a lot of these ministries and a lot of these devout followers of Jesus, not the corrupt ones, God always reveals them, they're not doing it for money. It's just what they do requires money. And God gave it to us to give it to them. Man, I'm sitting there talking to two pastors, and they're, 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 they just can't believe the thought. If we could, just, we could get this church planted, and we could pay all our expenses, we could take ownership of the building, and we could make sure this pastor could at least have a house and feed his four children and his wife. And I'm thinking, what are y'all trying to raise? $56,000. I thought, well, I hope y'all don't leave America without fifty. With that, that ought to be. We can raise that in in one in a half a day. 
with all the wealth this country has and all the people we got, just in this city alone. You're just thinking, man, if we could just get not $56,000 for one person, $56,000 to run the whole thing. I remember standing, I was in Nicaragua one time, I was looking at this structure right there, and i never forget it. I was sitting there and I was looking around and I said, what do y'all need? He said, well, it'd be nice if we could cover it and keep the rain off everybody. And everybody, you know, it, we, just, we just ran out of money. How much money do y'all need to finish this? And when I say church, it was an outdoor pavilion. We need about $1,500. And I just start looking around. I said, huh? This, are, are, we really gonna, are we really about to pass the plate and wait till we get back home to get this guy $1,500? We got $1,500 among us. Let's give it to him. So it was no big deal. To, I said, please tell me we're not going to leave her going, we'll take that $1,500 into account. We'll, we'll see if we can raise it. $1,500? Give it to him. And, and, and so that's what the wealth is for. But he says the wealth has done nothing but give you all a false sense of security. You, you, and I love this, and this is the thing you notice about smug, wealthy people so many times. He says, you think you should be envied. Nobody envies the state you're in. You're pitiful. You're wretched. You're full of sin. You're naked spiritually. You're not to be envied. You're to be you're to be pitied. Nobody wants your life. You're all going to hell if you don't repent. You're spiritually wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And when we stand before the holiness of God, we all are. Remember Job? Job was incredibly wealthy. Nothing wrong with that. He was blameless and upright. But in order for God to let him see him the way he needed to see him, he allowed Satan to kill his children, to make him miserable, Everything Satan did, God allowed. Even told him what he could and couldn't do. And finally, Job gets to the point that says, I, he starts to complain a little bit, and God said, let me give you my resume. Job wants to interrupt him halfway through and say, I got it. I'm, I, I regret saying that. And God says, no, sit down. Stand up. Show yourself a man. Let me finish. And when he finishes, he's basically saying, who questions me? And Job says, before I'd heard of you. And he's wealthy, but now I see you through suffering. And you know what this blameless and upright man said? I despise myself. And I repent in ashes and dust. I'm no longer delusional. I was blameless and upright compared to people, but not compared to you. Not compared to you. And Jesus says, you're pitiful and you're so arrogant. Nobody envies you. So then he goes on. And verses 18 through 20, 18 through 20, he said, I counsel you to buy for me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. He's unpacking it. Here he goes. He's going to take on the wool. He's going to take on their, their, wealth, their wealth and he's going to take on the eye salve, all in his analogy. And he says, you, you know what he's telling them? Listen, this is important. Do you remember the time that the guy tried to buy the Holy Spirit? And Paul turns around and said, hey, man, 
you better repent right now, and God may forgive you. Remember the guy said, hey, I see y'all healing people. Can I buy this? You know what he's saying to these Laodiceans? You can't buy salvation. All the money in the world, you ain't going to buy redemption. You need redemption. You need you need gold refined by fire. What does gold refined by fire represent? The removal of all impurity. The stuff you have isn't pure. It's sinful. You need gold from me. You need to be refined so that I will wipe away all the impurity of this church. He said you need white garments. What is that in conflict with? The black wool. You think you're so special with this black wool. How about this? That black wool is right. Hey, that's about right for y'all. Y'all should be dressed in black because you're sinful. But what I want to dress you in is white garments. I want you to be redeemed. I want you to be righteous. You got all this black wool, but you don't have me. You're wearing the wrong thing. I need you clothed in white, and I'll provide the white garments because I redeem you. Then he says what? It takes on the ISAV. Y'all think y'all, y'all, y'all are so full of yourself shipping this ISAV everywhere? Let me tell you something. Y'all should, let me give you some ISAV because apparently y'all can't see clearly how wretched you really are. I'll give you some ISAV, and I'll give you the, the ISAV because, you know what? You think you're spiritually knowledgeable, but you're actually spiritually blind. You need salve from me, and I'll take away your spiritual blindness. They had no knowledge. How about this? They had no knowledge or even remote understanding, and I'm embarrassed at any point of life when I was this way. They had no idea that they had their eyes wide open and they couldn't have been more shut. They needed some. They needed Jesus to open their eyes. Is he opening your eyes? Has he opened your eyes? He's opened mine. What does the Scripture say? Those I love, I reprove. I love you enough to tell you the truth. And I love you enough to reprove and expose and convict you. Some people have taken on uh, that when he said that, that means these people weren't unredeemed. No, no. For God so loved the world, the people of the world, not the world uh, culture, the people of the world, that he gave his only begotten son, He's telling these people that my father loves you enough and I love you enough to send this letter to you. You need to hear this letter. We, I don't know how you're going to respond to it, but I love you enough because those that I love, I will reprove, I will convict, I will call to repentance. So this is all up. You ever? That's the thing that if, – if, let me tell you when you know you're arrogant and prideful because I've been there. When you become that person that gets offended anytime somebody who loves you is pointing out that you're on the wrong track. The scoffer, you ever had to deal with the scoffer? You try to point out something they need to correct and all they do is make fun of it. Where do you get off telling me that? All that kind of stuff. Oh, excuse me. Uh, and you go, all right. So, so, so you think you're above reproof. You, you, you don't understand that what I'm telling you, I'm telling you because I love you because I don't want you to go to hell, and I don't want you to suffer the consequences of the way you're acting. And we certainly should have that attitude. You know what he's saying? If you want to be zealous about something, be zealous and repent. Mourn over your sin. Hunger for righteousness. Do you do that? Does sin matter to you? Does it make you sick? Do you mourn over your sin? Do, do you just crave righteousness? 
Do you know what repentance always requires? I'm guilty. You're right. I remember that so vividly in my life when that pastor was saying things to me I did not want to hear, but I I could not deny that he was right. I knew enough about the gospel to know that drunks and fornicators and adulterers and profane and violent men (laughs) are not redeemed. And for the longest, you could point those things out in my life, and I'd be like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Who are you, self-righteous this, self-righteous that? And then there was that beautiful day when I said, you're right. I'm guilty. I am, I am not where I'm supposed to be. I love that beautiful thing that my wife said about our, our wedding and our marriage as we both were were redeemed in that pre-marriage counseling. This is such a profound and beautiful statement. And it's taken me years to truly understand it because I start thinking, again, being prideful. That's her journey. She had a journey. But I realized what she was saying, it applied to both of us. She said, when I, when I knelt on that altar to pray, and we were praying there as husband and wife, newly redeemed, she said, for the first time in my entire life, I knew that I was where I was supposed to be. I had left the life of being where I shouldn't be. This is my new life. It had not been easy, but it sure has been better. So now we get to the other thing that is often missed, and we, we need to correct this a little bit because this is why the church at Laodicea and if there's churches like this now, or if some, or if you believe the prophetic view, this is the state of the church. Look at this, 19. To whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, verse 20 now, and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Now this, this has been often mispreached. But, but it's not heresy. How many of you have heard this being preached as a salvation message? Jesus knocks on on your heart and open it up and let it in. That's incorrect. That is not what this is. Nothing wrong with it because you can use it as an analogy. I don't – there's nothing wrong with that analogy, but that's not what he's saying here. Okay? This is not this. You know what he's saying? Y'all are having church. I'm not even in there. You're dead. Y'all are acting like you're coming into worship. I'm not in there with you. If you want to get right, you got to bring me back into the church. I'm not in the church. I stand at the door, and I'm knocking on the door of my church, and are you the one that's going to finally say to the church, we're wrong. we got to get – I'll get up. I'm going to the door, and I'm bringing him in. And he says, and I'm ready. Return back to worship of me. Return back to repentance. Be be zealous. I love you. I'm reproving you. Be zealous and repent, and then come to this door, open it up, and bring me back into this church. And there's a lot of churches today, mainly in the western part of the world, 
They're having church every Sunday, and Jesus is nowhere to be found. Do you remember the funny joke about that, about the farmer in the overalls? It's a very funny joke, and but 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 it applies. He goes to the self-righteous church, and he's wearing his overalls, and the pastor sees him on his way out, and he says, hey, you need to go home and pray about and ask Jesus how you are to dress, dress for church. Farmer goes home, comes back next Sunday, got overalls on again. Pastor shaking everybody's hand. He said, hey, I thought I told you to go home and pray to Jesus about how you need to dress for church. He said, I did. He said, what did he say? He said, he didn't know. He'd never been here. <laughs> so, uh, so, so I, I mean, it, 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 there's a lot of church going on, but it has nothing to do with Jesus, not the Jesus of the Bible. And he says, it's time for you to realize that I'm not there. And you need to come open the door. And I love this. When he says, let me in, not to your heart, but to the church. Yes, to the heart. But I mean, but that, that's not what he's saying here. When he's talking about dining, let's have fellowship. I'm not there. Don't forget this either. Now, don't nothing Jesus says, everything's got profound meaning. Don't miss out on him saying what he's talking about is dinner here. Don't miss that time of day and that culture. And it's been that way in lots of cultures, that way in our culture. If your mama said get home for dinner, when is that? Is that in the middle of the day? Is that in the morning? When is it? It's in the evening. You know what he's saying? Time's running out. I'm ready to fellowship with you, but time's running out. We're at the evening meal now. You didn't bring me in for breakfast. You didn't bring me in for lunch. Or where I grew up, we, we wanted him to come to supper. Time's running out. There, there's only one more meal left, and I want to come in fellowship with you. So then he gets into what he says to all seven, 21 and 22. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. And then, of course, that personal plea, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will enjoy fellowship with Christ in his kingdom and throughout eternity. Scripture tells us they will eat from the tree of life. They will receive the crown of life. Now, now this is all through the seven churches. Every time Jesus talks about one who conquers an overcomer, here's all the things he said will happen. We will sit with him now in fellowship with him in his kingdom throughout eternity. We will eat from the tree of life. He did that. These are all the seven letters, how they ended. We will receive the crown of life. We receive protection from death. Uh, we will enjoy hidden manna that God provides. We'll have a white stone with a new name written on it. Uh, we, will, we will have access to receive the morning star, Jesus. We'll have white garments uh, representing purity and holy, holiness. We will, have, uh, we, we, will, it will, we will have honor having Jesus confess us a new name, and he will give us that name, and he will stand with us before God the Father. He'll make us a pillar in God's temple. We'll have a name of we'll have the name of God written on us. We will live in the New Jerusalem, and and He says, "Listen, all who can repent, because time is running out. Time is running out." So here's all these promises that He makes, and who does He make them to? At the end of all seven letters, all these things I just said represent all the seven letters. 
But who does he say that will go to? All these things that are listed, the one who overcomes, the conqueror. You're going to see this, by the way, at the end when we get to the end of the Revelation too, when, when he sees that final day of judgment. So what is an overcomer? What is a conqueror? It's the ones that remain, remain devoted, the ones who don't participate in heresy, who, who don't let a church become apostates, who don't chase after cults, who don't live a life of being delusional about our need for repentance. So when you think about this final letter, and then we're done with the letters to the churches, we'll start in in chapter 4 next week, Lord willing. What are all the things that you and I have learned and can apply from these seven churches? There's a lot. And now, now the difficult question as we end the letters to the seven churches. Which one of these churches, at the state that you are right now, would you most likely be a member of? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for um, loving us enough to reprove us and to call us to repentance. Lord, I just know that if there's anyone who needs to repent right now, I just pray they do. And repentance is pretty straightforward. We turn from our sin and we turn to you. We, you've cut us. We've been convicted. And you've told us that if we, if we really want to be zealous about something, be zealous about repentance. Be zealous about holiness. Be zealous about being devoted to you and to not live like the rest of the world and to not live like those who, who attend a service out of a cultural obligation, participate in a spiritual social club, but have come up with theology that is heresy. And one of those heresies that seems to be uh, showing up in churches in the West right now is a heresy of it really doesn't matter how we live that you're evolving on things and you're being more tolerable of sin now, sins you've never been tolerable for, but somehow you've changed. Lord, we reject that heresy. And we are devoted to you. But at the same time, we're thankful for how gracious you are, that you are faithful to forgive all who repent of any sin. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being with us.